It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Happy Monday, and thank you for tuning in to the Better Faster Podcast. In this episode, we talked to Dr. Heather Linden, who has one of the coolest jobs in the world. She is the Director of Physical Therapy for the Ultimate Fighting Championships Performance Institute in Las Vegas. I'm really excited about this episode because I'm a huge MMA fan, and we had a really good conversation. Heather told her story about how she worked her way to the top and earned her position at the UFC. She tells us what the job and schedule is like working with world-class MMA fighters and how she works alongside the rest of the team, including strength and conditioning coaches, registered dietitians, and performance coaches. We also get into what it's like being a female in a predominantly male sport, and spoiler alert, Heather's killing it out there. And we touch on how concussions are being managed at the Performance Institute, as well as their future plans to grow and expand their footprint over time. Heather's a real deal, and what she's doing out there at the PI is cutting edge in both the PT and the street conditioning worlds. And Heather's coming up, but first, we have two dates for you guys. The first is November 3rd. Donnie Thompson's body tempering certification is coming to Columbia, South Carolina. Yes, that includes those giant steel rollers you've heard of called the X-Wife, the bow tie, the boomstick, and more. Find out the science and the methods behind the techniques that have helped Donnie and numerous other powerlifters break world records well into their 40s. The link for registration is in the show notes. Finally, Chris Johnson is bringing his clinical running essentials course all the way up from Seattle, Washington to Columbia, South Carolina on November 10th and 11th. Is running actually a skill? How do we analyze it? And what matters more, cadence or strike pattern? I don't know the answers to all those questions, but Chris does, and I'm looking forward to finding out. The link for that one is also in the show notes. All right. She's at Heather Linden on Instagram and Twitter. She's coming up right now on the Better Faster Podcast. It's Dr. Heather Linden. Here we go. Happy Monday, everybody. We're here with Dr. Heather Linden, who's making her podcast debut. She's the director of physical therapy at the UFC Performance Institute in Las Vegas. Heather, that facility is amazing. It's like the Taj Mahal for performance. I mean, there's, there's freaking cameras on the squat racks. There's force plates on the platforms, on-site PT, RD. I mean, everything is world-class. It's got to be a fighter's paradise. But it's first, I'll, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. It definitely is. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to first off start by saying thank you for joining us. Thank you for your time. And why don't we start out with getting the listeners up to speed about who you are, what all you're doing, and how you got to this point in your career. Great. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Heather Linden. Uh, I am a, the director of physical therapy, like you said, at the UFC. Um, how I started out my career is pretty, I would say, typical from a pattern when it comes to PT students and how they transition trying to determine what avenue to go into. Um, I first, out of PT school, was kind of debating between orthopedics, sports performance, versus pediatrics. 
Um, I had a real niche for pediatrics, was really good with the children and families, so my clinical rotations went really well. But deep down, you know, growing up in sports, I always had that passion and that drive um, more for the performance aspect and helping athletes on a day-to-day basis. So one of my clinical instructors, you know, set me down when I was kind of going back and forth on my last first clinical rotations, like, what's the most important? Where do I go? How do I transition into, you know, the future? And she, I think what she said really like hung home to me is, you know, you can always do pediatrics. You're working with smaller children. You know, if you want to go transition into pediatrics, it's a lot easier to do later in life where orthopedics is a lot harder transition if you're later in life. It's a lot more grueling, a lot more manual based um, activities, things that you're working with a lot of athletes, lifting heavier objects, you know, being a little bit more agile, especially when you're transitioning to the performance aspect. So that really made my decision pretty easy that I wanted to go down that route and do orthopedics. So after PT school, I went to Los Angeles and I worked in an outpatient orthopedic clinic that was shadowing under a physical therapist that did a lot with boxing. Um, it was, I was super excited to have sports integrated on my first job out of PT school and just look forward to really getting into sports and learning as much as possible, how he integrates physical therapy and performance and how everything kind of meshes together within like a few months, literally he had a personal offer to go work for a professional boxer and left the facility, which was kind of heartbreaking for me because you know, having that in and having that mentor that really looked at sports and performance was exactly why I had taken the job. And then to have him leave site, the site was um, kind of devastating initially. But knowing that I've always been a really hard worker, I just put my head down and started taking a lot of courses and things that he had kind of, you know, led me into and, you know, more of that manual based physical therapy approach, more of that looking at the overall performance, integrating with coaches, strength coaches, and things like that. So I really took my time the next few years to dive into that and really become, you know, integrated into as much as I possibly could know from a continuing education standpoint, and then just getting out there and promoting myself and promoting my work and learning as much as possible. Um, so from there, I, you know, ended up the United States Olympic Committee. Uh, accepts volunteers of all different uh, medical fields. So you have physical therapy, chiros, massage therapists, athletic trainers, physicians that all work under one house, and they accept a two-week clinical rotation if you meet their criteria. So it's actually pretty funny because my mom uh, was like, oh my gosh, you should do this. This is amazing. You always wanted to get in sports and you know, the London Olympics is coming and you'll go to the Olympics if you do this. And you know how moms somehow are always <laughs> right. <laughs> You don't want to admit it, but they're always right. Um, (laughs) I ended up accepting uh, the volunteer rotation in the Colorado Springs facility. And, you know, within a week being there, I was actually kind of discouraged. I was, you know, there was other people that were there doing the same clinical volunteer rotation for two weeks. And they were going to Pan Am games and they had already gotten, you know, assignments to do a lot of great things with Team USA. And I was just like, how did you guys get this? You know, have you been here before? You know, did the athletes integrate well with you? How did you integrate into performance? And honestly, everybody was like, oh no, I just knew somebody that got me in. I just knew somebody. So I remember after the almost like five days being there, just calling my mom and saying, you know, this is a great idea. I absolutely am super passionate about this and love what I've experienced in the first five days. But honestly, in the end, it's always about knowing that right person or that right timing and everything like that. And I said, you know, mom, they already 
know who's already going to all these events. They already have like their teams established way in advance. And I was a little discouraged and, you know, like mothers always do. They're kind of like, just do you, you know, be the best you can. <laughs> so I absolutely, you know, just kind of put my head down the next few days. And that weekend, my, um, I think it was Saturday afternoon, one of the people that were at the Olympic Training Center that, you know, we were working with, that was a full-time employee, just asked if I could see them in their office after our clinical hours. And of course, you always think the worst. You're like, oh no, did I say something <laughs> wrong? Did an athlete, you know, go turn me in for, you know, doing something wrong with a rehab or my manual skills? And literally within seconds of coming into her office, they said, you know, we have a position open and we think you'd be a great fit for Team USA. And we'd really like to push you forward to in the application process. And next week, our, you know, managing director is going to fly in for a day to try to meet with you just so we can see if it's a good fit from his aspect as well. And we'd really like to talk further about possibly applying for a full-time job with us. Wow. So, Outstanding. Really, really cool because it, you know, it just really shows that, you know, sometimes the hard work and, you know, really putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and, you know, putting your head down to be the best you can from a skill set profession rather than just always knowing the right person, you know, really does pay off. And, you know, I applied for that position and within, gosh, four weeks, I think I moved to Colorado Springs and I worked for the Olympic team for the next over six years. Outstanding. So you, you earned your way essentially. So you didn't have to rely on that network. I did. And it just opened up doors. You know, it opened up a lot of doors for me. And that's where I am now today. Like I had a colleague that, you know, spoke with the UFC because they were interested in him as a sports dietitian. And they said, you know, we're trying to find a PT that has combat experience. You know, what do you think of your PTs that are, you know, in your facility, they've had boxing, judo, and literally our sports dietitian was like, I know exactly who you should talk to that has worked with a lot of our combat athletes and our athletes, you know, really appreciate the drive and desire she has. And within probably two hours, I had a call from the UFC asking me if I would talk with them about their new facility and kind of the views and the future of UFC and MMA and, you know, if I could be a good fit for them. So. Awesome. So during your time with the Olympic training center, um, what sports you assigned to? So when you work for the Olympic Training Center, you can work with all sports. So all over, there's over 50 Olympic sports, and you can work with all of them. So they'll come in for camps. You do have residential athletes that are out of one facility. So at the Colorado Springs facility, we had um, all three disciplines of wrestling. We had men's gymnastics. Um, we had para judo. We had occasionally taekwondo would come in. We had boxing that became residence athletes. Um, as well as modern pentathlon. We had some track athletes that lived there year round. So it kind of was a mesh of a bunch of different sports. And then every two months you'd see different athletes come in. So like USA Swimming would come in and they'd do their national team camps there. So they'd come for maybe two months or like a three week stint. So you really had integration of all athletes, both summer and winter that came in. You'd have bobsledders there on their um, off season that we're training at the Colorado Springs facility. So you could see one day a skier or a bobsledder. The next day you were seeing gymnastics, wrestling, boxing. So it was definitely a huge melting pot of all the Olympic sports. Awesome. And so specifically, it sounds like the, the combat background was, was vital to get in the position at the PI where you're at now. And that makes sense because Josh and I are, are big on that as well too, because we work with a lot of CrossFitters and, and we feel that 
it's always important to some degree that you have some kind of credibility and commonality and maybe some intent with the people that you treat. You got to at least know what you're talking about, even if you weren't necessarily a world-class athlete yourself. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's from walking in the door at the UFC. I think that's the first thing that our athletes, you know, initially they were a little bit hesitant of this new performance Institute and all these new people that were thrown kind of into their lives. And with the credibility of saying, Hey, I've worked with Olympic wrestlers. I mean, you should see the tone and everything change, you know, like, Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. You work for the best. Oh wait, you work with these boxers. You worked, you know, so I think having that commonality of, you know, knowing what their sport is and, and what it entails. And I mean, that was the first thing the UFC said to me, they're like, what do you know about the UFC? And to be honest, I didn't know much. I knew about, you know, pay-per-view fights that my friends and I would rent on a Saturday night, you know, over beers and pizza and watching them and, you know, seeing some of the Olympic athletes transition into the UFC after their careers. But I really didn't know much about the sport. And when I said that to the UFC, they were like, okay, well, you know, wrestling, you know, judo, you know, taekwondo, you know, boxing, you know, men's gymnastics, you pretty much know all the sports that integrate into what MMA is. And I think that was a huge selling point for not only the UFC, but also for the athletes. That's great. I think it's always good to be honest and transparent too. Because if you just said, yeah, I had a couple uh, amateur fights back in the day, then you probably get easily got called out on that if you're trying to uh, spar or hit the mitts or something like that. And it's also knowing the sport. Like, it's funny that you say that because what we do as a staff Every like Tuesday morning, we pick a different um, sport in MMA and we do like class or teaching and things like that just amongst our staff itself. So like one day, you know, our sports dietitian was high level, you know, training for the Olympic wrestler. And then you had Forrest Griffin. So we've had jujitsu class. We've had boxing. You know, we've had different integrations of just learning the sport because you can never you, you can never stop learning, I think. Sure. And being able to integrate even more and personally experiencing it on top of personally working with athletes that have all been in those sports, I think just gives you a lot more credibility and also makes you understand where the injuries are coming from, from a performance standpoint. What are you looking at? Everything like that. Absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a big part of the APTA's current vision statement, lifelong commitment to learning. And what a better way to do it than train with guys like Forrest Griffin in-house. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> Yeah. And who, um, so that this performance center, I know it's so multidisciplinary and you've mentioned a few, uh, other disciplines right there, like, uh, new director of nutrition, things like that. So who all, um, is on this team that you guys have, uh, kind of assembled? Yep. So when I first started, um, on board here, it started with our three VPs, which you have Forrest Griffin, you have Dr. Duncan French, and you have James Kimball. And Forrest's role is really that integration among sport and performance and how we can best practices meet the needs of the athletes. So he's that integral part that really connects what the athletes are already doing and then what we're doing downstairs. Um, Dr. Duncan French, um, he is an exercise physiologist with also a strength and conditioning um, background where he coached uh, GB's Olympic team as well as worked at Notre Dame. So he is integral when it comes to looking at how everybody connects together. And then we have James who on the top as a VP is in charge of all the operation day to day, making sure things are happening, making sure things are working, making scheduling, making sure the athletes needs when they come in or are coming in town are needed. So from there, that's kind of the basis where they looked out for the director positions, which you have myself director of physical therapy 
you have Bo Sandoval, who is director of strength and conditioning, and then you have Clint Wattenberg, who's director of nutrition. So they kind of took the main three things that integrate from a performance standpoint that we could really house and make a difference. And the, the three reasons why, what we kept hearing from athletes that they weren't getting, you know, they couldn't afford sports dietitians, they couldn't afford, you know, a medical person or rehab that they could really touch base off. And most of them were doing the rehabs versus YouTube stations. Um, you know, and then Bo having a, having a strength and conditioning, I mean, that's a really high expense when athletes are first starting out in the UFC, they, you know, most of their earnings will just go to coaching and then having this integral performance team behind them. So from there, then we've, you know, opened it up and each branch has expanded more. And we're also looking to bring on sports psychology in the future to have a really full integrated performance center. Wow, that's awesome. That's such that, that's so cool seeing um, you know how they've you've created all these dis- different disciplines working together as one. And I've always it always amazes me with with fighters because in any other sport, you know, if you are missing one of those pieces, you just you know you lose. Oh well, you just lose. You come back next time. But the stakes are so much higher with these athletes. So, you know, they're you know if if you lose, it could it could end up being a, a pretty bad situation. So um, I've always had so much uh, interest in fight conditioning, fight nutrition, all that thing, all that goes into it, just because the stakes are so much higher. Absolutely, and and I think you're you're also having a sport that's so brand new. You know, only being 25 years old they have so much that they don't know of from a performance standpoint. You know, most of them come from the background. I would say probably only 10 to 20% of almost a 600 athlete roster really has that team behind them already. Everybody else is kind of doing it on their own or, you know, integrated with a coach that they've known for years, but maybe not knowing how performance is, you know, moving upward and how it's helping athletes from, you know, staying healthier, longevity of sport. Um, and also in the, in the point of retiring without chronic injuries and things that, you know, will impact them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point too, because I mean, so many of these fighters, they come from, I imagine come from so many different backgrounds and just probably have never had access to this stuff whatsoever. Probably doesn't even know, don't even know that exists. So it's really cool to see what all y'all are able to do for them. I mean, it seems to be analogous to what you would see at, with an NFL team or something like that, all the things that are available to them. And and that's free to the fighters too, correct? It's completely free. So if you're a rostered athlete, you have free access to any of these services, um, which is really nice because, you know, you look at me coming from the Olympic background, you know, the Olympic team is a nonprofit, which a lot of people don't know. So every, no government funding, we're one of seven countries. So everything is, you know, donations, sponsorship, things like that. So you also have athletes that don't make a lot of money. But what you see difference between the two um, companies is, you know, the Olympics, if you're one and two in the world, you have access to all of those great things. But if maybe you're three, four, and five, you don't. And I think that was a huge selling point for me coming over to the UFC is it's actually athlete-centered. It doesn't matter if you're one or 150 on the list of where your ranking is. You have full access to these services anywhere globally. You can tap into them, whether it's remotely or coming in town to Las Vegas or, you know, we're now getting on the road. So seeing us at a fight that you're in. So there's a lot of ways that we really make sure we're athlete centered, which I think a lot of other places lose that. No, that's great. Well, uh, I want to switch gears here a little bit and just kind of talk a little about what the typical day is like for you. So can you talk about, you know, what's it like from the time you go to work, who all you're seeing, you know, maybe, maybe what, 
types of injuries, things like that. And we'll go from there. So you're, you're asking me this on a really bad week. I gotta be honest, <laughs> a really big, we have some really big fights coming up next week, but I'll, yeah, give, I'd you, say so. <laughs> I'll give you my typical day. So we are um, an eight to five facility. So Monday through Friday, and then every other Saturday, myself and my colleagues switch on and off. So I usually am working about an eight to five hour and that entails Athletes might be there for rehabilitations, which they're scheduling their rehabs to either being seen once or twice a day for about an hour, or they might just be someone that's rolling in for a few days to do diagnostics and wants to see where they can prevent injuries and they'll be scheduled. But then we also have walk-ins, you know, we have athletes that are training upstairs in our, on our MMA floor that then come, you know, have an injury or get kicked or get, you know, punched or something. And, you know, they now have something that's not feeling right. So they come down for a quick eval. And then you also have the athletes that just end up in town because they're visiting someone or they had to come in town for medicals that want to squeeze in. So our day is kind of all over the place. We highly recommend that the athletes schedule, but that being said, you know, you never know what's going to happen when it comes to sport. Um, also right now we're preparing for a big fight next week. So right now my hours, I usually work around eight to five. I come home for two or three hours and then I'm back in the facility from nine till about 1am in the morning. So being sports, you know, it's very, it's glamorous and everything. You're working with these amazing athletes, but at the same time, it is your life. Um, right now, I think it'll be three weeks that I worked probably 14 hour days at least just because we have athletes in town that are trying to train at the same time as when they fight, which is going to be 10 30, 11 o'clock at night next week. So, you know, I totally promote and support them training and really visualizing and understanding, you know, what their fight night is going to look like and therefore, you know, being readily available whenever they need. I mean, I had Monday, I crawled in bed because I hadn't heard from some athletes that were going to train at night and Within three minutes of pulling the covers up, I had three text messages and said, we plan on being there around 1030 tonight. Do you mind meeting us there? And I, you know, got out of bed, threw the clothes on and uh, went out the door and was there till, you know, after 1am in the morning and then repeat. So it's definitely a lot of hours. And I would say, you know, the main injuries we see, we see a lot of cervical disc herniations, lumbar spine disc herniations, a lot of shoulder labral issues, um, elbow tendonitis from striking, um, as well as hip labrums. And then knees tend to be the ones that are, you know, grappling. We see the most ACLs, LCLs, meniscus, you know, most of these athletes, like every athlete that's out there at this high level, you know, has their bumps and bruises and their injuries that they've kind of been training through. So trying to teach them that there's a lot we can do from these everyday training injuries and just prevention wise and getting them a little bit healthier when they get in the octagon. Jeez, that schedule sounds exhausting. I thought my schedule was crazy being a business owner. <laughs> I know. Owner. I'm, I know. Yeah, I'm That's not, the first I'm thing ne- I thought. I was like, oh man, I thought I was working hard. I'm never going <laughs> I mean, to so complain I again. Finished, I, I got home last night at quarter to two from work. Mm-hmm. And then I will be back in there today at two and probably till 12 or one in the morning again. Jeez. Goodness. But that's an interesting point to note there. And we've talked about this before is uh, I think we've talked about previously when someone's preparing for any type of uh, event, you know, as an athlete, you do have to try to replicate certain situations if you can. So those late night training sessions, you know, that's, that's important to kind of get your body accustomed to being, you know, being able to be at your best at a time that's not your normal training time or something that's maybe not, you know, ideal, but that's the time you're going to be fighting. So you got to be prepared there. And I know other sports will do the same if they, you know, or play a lot more night games or things 
things like that. So that's, that's an interesting thing to note. If you want to work with performance athletes, a lot of times your schedule has to match their schedule. Absolutely. I mean, and this is a West Coast fight. So East Coast fights, our main card goes off around 1 a.m. So when I'm East Coast at fights, I travel to um, once a month to all the pay-per-view fights. We're trying to bring what we've um, accomplished in the Performance Institute on the road with us because we've definitely gotten feedback from athletes that, you know, if they can't get out to Vegas, how do they utilize our services? So we decided to put myself and our sports dietitian on the road to the main cards just for a year to see, you know, if athletes would utilize our services, if it was, you know, went over well with athletes and coaches. Um, and also it's in the end, it ended up being a great sales pitch for the Performance Institute because, you know, athletes, I, it's funny, I had an athlete that literally was very negatively talking about the Performance Institute and really much was like, you know, I just wish we, we got more money and we had more things like I'm never going to get to Vegas, you know, and I worked on this athlete all week. And the last day I worked with him before the fight, he was like, I need to ask you, I hate this is a personal question, but I need to ask where you live because I honestly, if we have a great coaches there, I would consider coming because I'm getting older. And within one week, you've made all my symptoms go away. And I, I'm so excited about how good I'm going to feel going into this fight that I would consider moving near wherever you lived. And I was like, well, it's funny you say that because I am your physical therapist at the PI. And he was like, what? You've let me badmouth this? I was like, you know what? Like, forget it. He's like, I'm coming there. I'm going to like, if you're just one component of it. And I've gotten so much out of it in five days working with you from prevention, from injuries. Like he's like, I can only imagine how much more I'm going to get out of this. Wow. I can't get a better compliment than that. Yeah. There you go. Move. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, talking about the way that rehab works there, what it sounds like is that I assume that you're the gatekeeper for all things musculoskeletal. It sounds very similar to kind of how it works in the military. Is that right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's, I'm very lucky because coming from the Olympic team, that's exactly how their um, entire network is set up. We're kind of the first person. We do have um, an emergency medicine doc that's staffed with us on retainer that, you know, manages the cases from the high up. But usually we're the first gatekeeper that we see. So we really need to know, you know, where are we referring this athlete? Is it out of our scope of practice? Is it something I can do MSK ultrasound and then get my doctor like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is where I think this athlete needs to go. Or, hey, this is something we can manage in-house without even bothering, you know, the doctor and, you know, taking as much time. I mean, he has over 500 athletes that he has to, you know, manage and make sure their injuries are being taken care of. So it's kind of nice to have someone that can filter those through and also just a sounding ear for our athletes because, you know, a lot of athletes don't want to talk about their injuries because in this sport, they're really only covered from an injury standpoint if it happens during a fight. Mm -hmm. So that, that being said, they don't really want to mention anything, bumps and bruises or anything bothering them until they've gotten through the fight. Because if it turns out to being something, you know, a lot of them don't even have health insurance. So that being said, you know, I'm trying to break down those barriers and say, you know, a lot of the little bumps and bruises that you guys have are normal performance athlete injuries or things that you guys will have just because of the high demands you guys place on your bodies. And that's not, doesn't mean that you need to be not competing in your sport. And I think coming from the Olympic background, knowing that these athletes train for four years, eight years, 12 years for one day, I honestly look at their fights exactly the same because they don't know how many fights they're going to get in a year. It could be one, it could be five. And they don't know when that income is coming in for their families to support everything. So I honestly look at their fights as their one Olympic day. And 
I think looking at it that way and bringing it to their attention, like, okay, let's make sure you're the best you possibly can be. And anything that comes along, these are just small hiccups in the road that we can work with and, you know, not necessarily pull you from a fight. We're looking at, you know, performance-based athletics. You're never going to have someone going into their day with not one bump or bruise, you know? So yeah, that, no, I mean, that's great. So it sounds like, uh, in some ways you have to almost build their trust so that they know that you're on their side, that you're yep. not just going to, you know, contribute them pulling out of a fight or anything like that. Um, no, that, that is, that is awesome. Um, so, you know, you mentioned some of the most common injuries that you see. I know I'm kind of skipping around here, but I wanted to make sure I worked this in somehow because one of my, one of my colleagues wanted to make sure I asked this, but what is the weirdest or the craziest injury that you've ever seen? Ooh. I honestly don't even look at injuries being weird or crazy anymore. (laughs) I mean, I'm coming from a population where I've literally had a gentleman with his jaw shattered into pieces, an orbital fractured, a cervical radiculopathy asked me, you think I can be back in six weeks? Like, what do you think, Kev? You know, so you start looking at this and these aren't, crazy injuries to them. It's their sport. They're it's kind of in their nature. You know, when I worked at the Olympic team, I, I saw an open fracture. I saw, you know, had to spine board an athlete, a gymnast before. And that initially was like, oh, wow. But now looking at retrospectively, looking at what my athletes entail, you know, you'll see an entire knee get blown out where every ligament and meniscus is torn from, you know, getting a kick wrong or getting caught up with an opponent and things like that. And so I don't really look at them as being that crazy anymore, which I guess it's, you know, being in this sport, you start to look at things a little differently. (laughs) But, you know, these athletes come to me with histories of, oh, I've had eight surgeries. I've had, you know, so you're like, wow, it's not a normal past medical history that you're taking with maybe an ACL and sprained. It is shoulder labrum, orbital fracture, you know, concussion on top of, you know, shoulder labrum. So it's, you know, you really have to be good at looking at all systems and not overshadowing any of them. So like all my evaluations are from head to toe. You know, one of the things I learned, I had probably the best sports chiros that um, taught me the most from the Olympic Training Center. And they literally, no matter what, even if you have worked on someone, adjusted someone, you know, every time you see them, do a full neural neuro screen don't, you know, when you're working in sports, it's that one split second that you don't do that thorough eval that can change their paths of where they're going in in a sport. So, you know, being very thorough, never, you know, shortcutting or shortchanging anyone or for time or effort, you know, doing everything all the way through, I think is just a huge component when it comes to these athletes and their injuries. That's really solid advice. Just test, retest, test, retest every time. Got to check everything. Yep. Awesome. Um, now, one other thing I wanted to, to kind of make sure we at least brought up is that, you know, I realize it's 2018 and we shouldn't still be having this discussion, but it's still very relevant. And mm-hmm. what sort of challenges, if any, did you have along the way being a female and a predominantly male run sport? Because I know there's lots of female PTs that are listening to this who look up to you. Yep. Um, it's funny you say that because you're right. We shouldn't have this anymore, but it, it is unfortunately there. I would say for me, the biggest part when I first started Um, my mentor worked for one of the NFL teams and I shadowed him at Virginia tech when I did undergrad work. And then he kind of was my mentor 
all throughout PT school and then kind of my avenues of where I should go. And it's so funny because the places he told me to go to work for was like under really big physical therapists that do a lot of teachings and stuff. And my route ended up going a different way. But the thing that really rides home to me about that is, you know, I asked him like, hey, out of school, can I spend six months shadowing you? I will pay for it. I will work on the side. You know, you guys don't have to pay me just literally like an observational internship with you guys. And the immediately, he said yes, but immediately um, that sport said, you know, no, our PT clinic is in the male locker room and that is a lawsuit waiting to happen. There's no females, you know. So initially I, you know, I was slightly discouraged in that sense because as a female, I kept hearing that, you know, like, uh, you know, especially in, you know, professional sports, you know, a lot of times that's right. You know, the PT clinics connected to the locker room and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think for myself, just making sure that putting my head down and learning as much as possible so that there was never an avenue where someone said I couldn't do that as a female has given me that open door. And I also think being able to be a little bit thicker in the skin and, you know, not taking things personally and being able to have that trust with athletes. So it doesn't matter whether they're female or male, you need to relate to what they're telling you, not be offended because some of them have come from very different backgrounds than you. So, you know, not being judgmental and being very open-minded to, you know, things that are said and working with people, but then also just keeping it very professional. Um, So I think all of those have kind of guided me as a female to really just put my head down and show that my actions and my work ethic and everything that they're hiring a male for, they're going to hire me for. And, you know, letting my work speak for itself when it comes down to it. That's great. And I got to say that last weekend at the NSA Combat Clinic, I mean, you crushed it. All, all the presenters over delivered too, but I mean, it was clear that you had all the respect from everyone in the room, including the coaches and the fighters. And it's just very cool to see the PT profession represented so well at such a high level, because I mean, these are literally some of the best athletes in the entire world. And at least from my very limited perspective, it didn't seem that you were having an issue with the whole male and female dynamic, at least not there. So you, I think, you, agree. you know, I think Duncan said it really well. He's like, you know, I have never been one that doesn't say what I'm thinking, which is probably good and bad in that sense. Um, but you know, I think communication when it comes to every aspects of human life, whether it's relationships, uh, jobs, everything is the key. So if you can, you know, if something's bothering you and I had to learn this as well, you know, especially in a very male dominant world to sometimes when they said something to me, not taking it personal as a female, because I, I mean, I will agree sometimes we can be a little emotional, but you know, not taking that and stepping aside and saying, okay, wait, actually, if he said that to my colleague, you know, it would be completely different. And realizing, you know, get, that's just me being a little bit more sensitive. And I think you learn that, you know, just from experience that, you know, and you can start to talk to everybody. And I also think being a female, I've had my advantage. Like, I hate to say this as well, but, you know, I think it's sometimes easier for some of the guy athletes to talk with me. They're more comfortable um, as well as I might relate a little bit more from that emotional side that they're used to hiding, but now they can kind of open about stresses, you know, things that they feel uncomfortable from a training standpoint, you know, and I think normally when you're all male, 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 sometimes those males that are, you know, might be having more of the sports psychology issues, don't really know who to go because they're trying to keep that facade of being tough and powerful, but throwing a female into that aspect, sometimes they can communicate a little better and they might tell the female a little bit more. So I think that's really been a huge integration key with all of us is that we have, you know, both male and female on staff so that 
whether it's female athletes that want to see a male, a male, you know, whatever their preference preferences is, where we offer that to them and they have that capabilities. That's a great point. I mean, in our practice, we, we have some great female therapists and oftentimes we'll, we'll split patients, you know, we'll kind of trade them back and forth. And it's like, after they work with, with Tristan, she comes back with like a completely different, different. Yeah, yeah, different, like subjective, like whole new information that is, that is totally relevant to the case. And it's because they were more willing to open up and yep. a bit more about those emotional sides of things. And so that's, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Our, our, my team usually laughs because if only our walls could speak the things <laughs> I hear from probably our athletes more than what they hear is so different. And I'll be like, Oh my gosh, you know, they're going through a divorce and they're doing this. And, and then my strength coach is like, Oh my gosh, this makes sense. Why he's been struggling on staying on a strength and conditioning program. Or, you know, I'll be like, Oh my God, he moved. No wonder his back hurts. And like, they might get only, Oh my gosh, my back flared up. And then my strength and conditioning coach is like, was it something I put on his program? And I was like, Oh no, no, no. He moved and he did a five. Like, you know, there's so much you hear from a male or female perspective and then vice versa. My strength coach might be like, Oh man, this guy didn't. And I'm like, Oh, he has an injury there. He should, you know, you kind yeah. of get that, that really good communication amongst everybody, which is huge. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost got competitive in our clinic. It's like, you know, I'll be like, Hey, so-and-so said that they just broke up with their boyfriend and she's like, yeah, I actually found that out three weeks ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So true. Well, Heather, um, one other thing I was hoping we, we could talk about a little bit more is concussions because okay. it's something that I, I, I really enjoy treating. I'm kind of passionate about it. And someone at the clinic, I think it was Dr. Duncan French, um, yep. he said that the irony of the sport of MMA is that the goal is to give your, component a, your opponent a concussion. Right. And, you know, the fan in me loves to see those crazy knockouts, those showtime head kicks, ground and pound finishes. But as a clinician, I got to draw from my experience and it's not uncommon for it to sometimes take over a year for some of our patients to be fully recovered. So I got to imagine that some of these fighters who compete two to three times a year or more got to be constantly concussed. So how is that managed either from your perspective or maybe with some of the rest of the staff? So right now that was probably my one biggest thing coming into this company, realizing we have a lot of work to do. Um, it is managed through neurologists always the athlete is not cleared um and to fight again until they've seen a neurologist and gone through a thorough concussion screening now that being said you have to realize these athletes are independent contractors so there's nobody really tracking them to see if they're practicing during this time the only thing we have is that they have to be cleared by a neurologist so from a you know, from a physical therapy, from a sports medicine standpoint, for me, that's not enough. Um, we need to raise up and be best practices when it comes to working with, you know, the consensus statements of ringside physicians, working with, you know, making sure when somebody is diagnosed with a concussion, um, we follow through and we start programs that, you know, make sure that they're on the right track so that they're not competing concussion, concussion, concussion symptoms have been completely resolved. They have been gone through a thorough, not only diagnosis, but then treatment plan and then a return to play as well. So right now there's a lot of gray area, I will say, that we're working through at this moment. Um, that's on my goal for next year is to honestly possibly work with partners or develop a state-of-the-art concussion um, vestibular area in our facility that athletes can come to. But that being said, 
what's lacking the most is the educational piece. I, I literally, I was in Brazil on a fight and an athlete was kind of limping around the poolside and, you know, sat down with his manager and his manager came over to our medical team and said, you know, Hey, can we get him in as soon as possible when he gets back? And, you know, our insurance people who are not medical, you know, said, Oh yeah, what, what appointments do we need to make? Is it his foot? Is that why he's limping? Like, do I need to send him to an orthopedic? Like what's, what is he feeling today that he didn't report yesterday? Because athletes have 30 days after a fight to report what's bothering them. Now, mind you, in this population, the athlete might not do anything for those 30 days because that's kind of their vacation. But then if they start training again on day 31 and this, that, and the other comes up of hurting, they now aren't covered. So it's, it's very tough on that aspect. But from a, from a concussion standpoint, that manager was like, no, actually, he just his team said he seems like he's slurring his words or he doesn't seem quite right. And he had a very gruesome knockout. So, you know, I, being a medical person, was like shipped up like, hey, well, does he have this, 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 and this? And they're like, the manager like looked at me like I was crazy. Like, how does this physical therapist know all of this about concussion? And so I said, do you mind if I go talk to the athlete? Because this is one athlete I hadn't really met. I did a little, one day I did a little like manual work on him, but it wasn't like, he didn't, we didn't talk about injuries or anything. So I didn't know him very well. And I went over and immediately his team, everybody was like, we went and we got a CT scan. It was negative. So he doesn't have a concussion. We're good. I don't understand why he kind of seems a little bit off. And I was like, guys, first off, a CT scan is pretty much telling us if there's an active brain bleed. That does not mean if he has concussion or not concussion. It is great that he doesn't have an active brain bleed. And that is like the one number one thing that we obviously, you know, are concerned about. But I said, number two, that does not mean he doesn't have a concussion. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And I was so education, 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 you know, sitting right there by the pool, I put him through a cranial nerve screen, I put him through, you know, a symptom screen, and you know, pretty much took everything I possibly could and put him through everything quick, just to make sure there's no red flags, look, checked vitals, and made sure nothing was a red flag that he couldn't go home to the US when I would send him to a hospital or a neurologist right there in Brazil. But doing that, you know, it definitely put things into perspective to me that education, they really don't even know. You know, so mm-hmm. it's our job when we had our coaches summit, I spoke a little bit about concussion and how I want to, you know, start to develop um, a return to play program. So coaches know how to manage these athletes when they're just at practice, you know, if they're sparring and they get, you know, symptoms from a hard, you know, head kick or something like that. Um, so that being said, you know, I think concussion for us is really, really, really at the beginning surface level. And I really am excited to see where the future brings us in this next year on how we integrate it for best practices for these athletes. No, that's great. Yeah, I mean, the, the education is obviously the key because, I mean, there's a lot of gray area for the rest of us too because, I mean, no two concussions present alike. And it's kind of like the Wild West out there. I mean, there's so many different ways that people are managing it. So uh, it's just really interesting just to see what comes out see what we can do to stay ahead of it. And uh, with that said, is, is there, is there any concern that, you know, one day as a sport continues to gain credibility and as more fighters retire over the years, uh, is there any talk, any worry about the, about CTE or having like an NFL like situation? Yep. So right now the UFC is in a study with the Cleveland clinic on all of that. Um, And it's no cost to the fighters and they get um, consistent, I think yearly scans, if anything looks, comes up, 
you know, they also do C3 logic, they do some baseline stuff and everything like that. So that is definitely a concern, I would say, on that sense. And I think we've definitely chosen to really integrate with the Cleveland Clinic, but we're also looking, you know, for more partners and more ways to make sure, you know, we're on top of this when it comes in the forefront, because like we said, the sport is so new. Um, the biggest obstacle right now with the Cleveland Clinic is they don't really share their information. They only share it to the athlete if there's anything that, you know, looks concerning on that standpoint. Mm -hmm. And also they don't treat. So, you know, we need to develop a center that really, whether we partner with places that already have state-of-the-art equipment for our treatment of concussion, or whether we develop our own facility here that will have all that equipment, that's, I think, going to be our most impactful area and how we can change the future looking into all of that. Now that's that's fantastic. Um, that sounds like a really good resource to have available to you right now and available to your fighters as well. Um, last thing I had, and Heather, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, let, let's say let's say we knew a talented PT student and he was an accomplished strength coach and we all have a mutual friend and Kathy Arnott, who yeah. uh, you work with at the OTC. Uh, do, do you have an opening for a PT student for a clinical rotation? And if you say <laughs> no, we'll just, we'll just edit out the episode. Luckily for you, we do. So we actually just got approved to become a clinical affiliation site. I actually have my first student starting on Monday. So they are starting of Conor McGregor Khabib's fight week is their first day at the UFC, which is going to be, I no think, pressure. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> but um, we are. So we are now um, uh, able to take clinical affiliations. We have the facility reach out to us and develop a site agreement form and make sure legally we have all of our T's and I's crossed. But we are super excited to have students because not only is it a way that I can keep up and learn, but you know, hopefully also share what I've learned so far in performance and stuff. So that being said, you didn't really put me on the spot. It's also self-promoting what we're looking to integrate school students in. So definitely have your facility contact us because we are opening doors to that starting on Monday. There you go. That, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, yeah. is called networking. There it is. Um, I, I'm just wondering if this, Brandon, if you think that USC would let this count for my skilled nursing facility that's mandatory. Um, Ooh, uh, we'll I'm have just to get wondering uh, if how we can make that happen. Uh, right? Because that well, is my next rotation. In, you know, um, hospital robes and maybe have all the athletes <laughs> wear those and then just only do the last lacerations, incisions. We can do by like. <laughs> Yeah, we can make it. We can, we we can make, make it work. work. Yeah, we can totally make it work. Um, Harvey's totally down for that. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, no, no, well, that's that's such a uh, – that kind of segues into what I had talking about. You were talking about the way the program is expanding. But I wanted to, to know, do you see, you know, the Department of Physical Therapy of, of whatever, of the UFC PI, uh, expanding to have another full-time person, more locations? Like, where do you see, uh, you know, that going? You've done your research. Uh, no, so we are. Um, right now, my, there's only two of us, um, physical therapist, myself, and an athletic trainer that came from also the Olympic Training Center that came on board with me almost a year ago. Um, my goal, there will be another full-time position uh, available that we will start to interview for January 2019. Um, I will say I'm possibly leaning a little bit more towards a sports Cairo so we can have a fully integrated facility with all aspects and disciplines of sports medicine in there. But honestly, in the next probably full year to two years, I would like to see us have four to five more staff members in our facility because we also want to make sure we are covered on the road. I'd like to see a staff member travel 
each and every fight. So we need to expand on that. Otherwise we'll get pretty um, boggled down and a little tired from travel and all the care. But then also we are opening up another performance institute in Shanghai, which we will open hopefully June or July of 2019. And I'm in the process of doing interviews right now for that position. It will be a managerial position. And then the facility there is three times as big as ours. Um, it has every bell and whistle you could possibly think of. It also makes ours look a little bit jealous of what um, we are now finding what we want even more in that facility. So yeah, so we honestly, I think this is going to be a huge thing. It's, this is just the beginning surface ground level. I, I foresee us expanding quite significantly when it comes to other providers having more PTs, more ATs, more, you know, I'm outsourcing a Cairo this week and possibly massage therapist for fight week. So we really have a full integrated team. And then on top of that, hiring for other facilities that I foresee in the future as well. Awesome. Wow, that's so cool. Shanghai, there you go. That's, that'd be a, a fun spot to work there. Shanghai, right? I know. And it's, it's pretty cool because not only will it have all the aspects we have currently, but it will also have more of a developmental coaching staff on site as well. So, you know, the um, Chinese market is very much, the Asian markets are very much untapped from a developmental side point when it comes to fighting. You know, you see in Europe, you see in Russia, you see all these wrestling backgrounds, you know, you'll see in South America and, and other facilities, boxing and all this other stuff. But honestly, the Asian countries don't have a ton of feeder programs. So we're really looking to also feed in. We only have, I think, I don't quote me on this, but I think possibly only five to 10 Asian athletes on the entire roster. So really expanding that culture and really expanding to develop them into um, MMA stars and really figure out how we can integrate that from a performance standpoint from the bottom up. Awesome. That's, that's, awesome. That, that's so cool, man. That's awesome. Um, one other question I had was, um, now that you've been in the performance realm, um, do you, do you miss, um, a little bit of treating some, you know, other issues or, or, or you know, do you see yourself ultimately, like you mentioned in the beginning, eventually going and, and getting into some pediatrics? And do you think that will be a weird transition going from like working with all these orbital fractures and broken mm -hmm. jaws to, you know, working with, um, you know, this pediatric population? Honestly, I am so passionate for orthopedics. I don't think I'll ever step away. I'll probably be the 80 year old woman with arthritis trying to treat. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> no, but I absolutely, my passion for performance, honestly, I think outweighs anything. Um, the only thing I could say from a personal life standpoint, I'm not sure, you know, pediatrics, that kind of stuff looks more enticing from an hourly standpoint. Like I said, you're not up working at one in the morning. And if I were to have children, that might be a little more difficult. Mm -hmm. um, which is a limitation I would say in sports and everything like that. So right now though, my foreseeable future is to stay in performance. Um, this has opened a lot of doors. I see a lot of athletes also privately, um, on the side that aren't UFC athletes to kind of help out, whether they're Olympic athletes that are sent to me, whether they're professional athletes that are in town here, or whether they're related to Cirque, to Soleil, you know, I kind of get to see a lot of other injuries and things as well. So, you know, I think it wouldn't be a problem seeing any kind of orthopedic injuries because I, every day I see something different and every day I'm constantly learning and trying to learn as much as I possibly can from the people around me and the people I've networked with. Yeah. You want to get rusty working on pediatrics too. You lose your whole skill set. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, Heather, um, for our listeners that might be PTs, prospective PTs who want to work with combat athletes, do you have any resources, any recommendations or any 
parting words of wisdom? I would say my biggest recommendation for athletes, especially in combat, is you know getting out there as much as you can, whether it's volunteering. There's a lot of MMA gyms out there that don't have the backing or have the right people. So integrating with A, the people that are already doing it, B, also you know learning those manual-based skill sets that really take you to the different level. Um, a lot of people, I think, don't necessarily take the time to put their hands on people and really integrate from a cellular tissue level all the way through the performance strength and conditioning side. And I think that's a huge adjunct not to be um, overlooked. Um, I also think, you know, networking, you know, I'm always looking for providers all over the world that have worked with MMA or that have worked in sports that have, you know, want to be a part of our network population provider list. So I think, you know, also reaching out to the people that are doing it yourself, my, myself, and really, you know, what can I do? You know, how do I get involved? Whether it's, you know, finding a local gym around you that's in the MMA and really, you know, volunteering maybe two or three hours, a, you know, a week just to say, hey, I'm here if you guys have any injury things. And then if that is the case, then maybe reaching up the chain to myself and saying, hey, I am working with some of the MMA athletes. What can I do? How can I do it? Mm -hmm. And then being integrated in, you know, like the seminar uh, that we were in last week with combat sports and really starting to meet the people that are already in that area. Mm -hmm. Solid advice. Get out there and do the work, get the reps in. That's right. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Now, Heather, well, if somebody wanted to learn more about you specifically and what you're doing, do you have any, um, you know, social media channels or where, where can they find out more? Yep. I will say my social media channels aren't as cool as everybody else's. I, I honestly like my athletes to speak for themselves. Um, so I don't do a lot of self-promotion, but I am, I'm on Instagram and it's Heather Linden. I'm also on Twitter as Heather Linden. Everything is my first and last name on social media where you can find me and kind of what I'm doing. Um, I tend to not self-promote myself when it comes to athletes. I've worked with professional football players and stuff, and I'm not that person that you will see saying, let's take a picture and let me post it. If an athlete posts something great about me, yes, I will repost it. But honestly, I kind of like to stay under that shadow and you know, let my actions speak for themselves. She's also humble. Yeah. That's great. And good branding, making everything just your name straight, the same on everyone, consistent. That's the way to do it. Yep. Well, Heather, thank you again for your time. Thank you for coming on this podcast. This was a fantastic conversation. This is going to be really good and put this out tomorrow. And go ahead, go ahead. Thanks for having me. And honestly, well, you know, being my first one, I feel like I feel a little more comfortable and <laughs> And anytime you guys need anything, and honestly, anybody out there that's interested in sports and MMA or even just, you know, the avenue of getting into orthopedics and sports and performance, you know, I, I love talking to people and I love, you know, sharing how I've accomplished my dreams. And, you know, if there's anything I can do to help others in that sense, feel free to well, thank, well, thank you for that. And we'll, we'll definitely take you up on that. And I'm sure, uh, and you did great. I'm sure Joe Rogan's going to be calling you up for the big leagues. Later <laughs> on the week. Yeah. All right. Well, as always. Be sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. That's what helps us reach more people. We have two dates for you guys. The first one is November 3rd. Donnie Thompson's body tempering certification is here in Columbia, South Carolina. Josh is an instructor. I'm a TA. So come put a little symmetry of these voices and meet us in person. And it's also at Spud's place too, his new place. Talk about cool facilities. So come on by and uh, pick you up a belt, a Spud belt, maybe a case of Bang Energy. You're just kidding. That stuff's probably terrible for you. And then second one is uh, November 10th and 11th. Chris Johnson is coming to Vertex to teach his clinical running essentials class. And I think his new ebook just dropped last week. So I'm going to check that one out here soon. And we'll put all the links for this in the show notes for you. And that's it. Have a great week. We'll be back next Monday.
This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.